Adapted Physical Education Collaborative. Welcome all. We have a, a great schedule for today. To begin, we have Dr. Susanna Dillon, and she is going to give a presentation on APE advocacy. Followed by that, we have uh, Brad Wiener, APE uh, a teacher at former teacher of the year and is currently doing administration in Fairfax County, Virginia. And he's gonna give us tips from an APE teacher. We'll follow that up by 10 minutes of Q&A with the speakers. So thank you all for, for joining us. Again, a big thank you to the NICPEAD membership subcommittee for helping to put these monthly uh, APE collaboratives on. We have Dr. Amanda Young, uh, Scott McNamara, University of New Hampshire, Heidi Ambrosius, um, APE teacher, Moreno Valley. I'm Melissa Bittner from CSU Long Beach and Emily Gilbert from SUNY Cortland. Our first speaker today is Dr. Susanna Dillon, a full professor at Texas Women's University. She's been in the field for over 20 years as a um, teacher educator, APE specialist, Special Olympics coach, and very much involved in um, NICPEAD as a, a past president and advocacy and policy chair, uh, involved with the Office of Special Education Programs with a, a national APE grant, and certainly very active as an advocate in the field. She served as the editor for the third edition of APENS, Adaptive Physical Education National Standards. You should all consider getting your CAPE certification if you haven't already. And maybe Amanda, if you could put a link to how to become CAPE certified in the chat, that would be, that'd be great. And she currently serves as the APENS Executive Director. Dr. Dillon's research interests include occupational socialization for APE teachers and physical activity interventions for children with ASD. So I will hand it over now to Dr. Dillon. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to click through a couple of things here and hopefully be able to pull this up real quick for you. All right, so um, like uh, Melissa said, I'm Dr. Dillon at Texas Women's University, and I'm really excited to be able to talk to you, even though it's only for the 15 minutes, but to give you kind of some hints and strategies that may help you locally, and then share some resources with you, including one that was recently approved by um, the consortium, and then be available to answer some questions that you might have at the end. So um, thanks for joining the collaborative, and let's get going. So um, one of the things that I think that is important for us to remember is that advocacy is a process. It is not something that is one and done. It takes time and it takes sustained effort. Um, and it is simply our um, best efforts as a profession to support our programs, our students, um, and advance our field. So within the profession, advocacy helps us identify 
um, take up or take charge of and then promote our, our programs and issues. It's really important that all of us, no matter whether we're in K-12, higher education, community-based programming, et cetera, understand that advocacy is a part of um, what all of us need to do and that it is how we shape and then uh, perception and then ultimately change pra local practices, policies, and then ultimately um, sometimes legislation, okay? So it's a marathon, not a sprint. Pace yourself and understand that um, like maybe training for a marathon, having running partners in a club is beneficial. Grab some friends and bring them along with you. All right, so some of the challenges to advocacy are often that young professionals in particular, but then also um, folks who are trying to advocate at a level different from where they currently work. So a public school teacher trying to advocate with somebody at the state legislature, for example, or a new student trying or new teacher trying to advocate within an existing school district. We often feel uncomfortable with the advocacy process. We're not sure where we should start who we should start talking to or advocating with, um, who we need to go to, to to garner some support or help. And very often we don't feel like we are qualified or the expert in our field, but um, we are, you are, and it's time for us to um, hopefully pick up the torch and move some things forward. So some helpful hints and strategies. First and foremost, I will be proactive rather than reactive. If you are waiting until there's a situation at hand to engage with stakeholders, it's probably too late and you're not gonna get the outcome that you're looking for, all right? So look at ways that you can promote all the time um, what you're doing and how you are improving outcomes for students with disabilities um, or the, the educational services that are accessed for students with disabilities, all right? Start with easy stuff first though, right? Baby steps. Look at what's around you and what's readily available. Can you send a newsletter home to parents that talks about the highlights of your program or things that are forthcoming or connect them to resources in the, in the area? Maybe there's a new adapted Zumba class that your high school students might be interested in. Maybe um, there's an adapted fishing program that's available in the community or a special Olympics event that's coming up. Engage your parents and your other stakeholders by sharing that information. Maybe it's that you try to commandeer a school bulletin board that's kind of up front that gets lots of visibility or even the one that's in the hallway that leads to your gymnasium or your teaching space, right? As people come and go from that space, help them understand what we do, what, what um, kind of an impact that we make. Um, and then start building that network of connections and advocacy um, team members. This might come from people in your school. This might come from people within your community. It might come from the SEAC, the Special Education Advisory Committee. Every um, school district in the state has, sorry, every um, educational service center in the state uh, across the US has a Special Education Advisory Committee, as does each state. Find out who those people are and see if you can start to build some bridges and rapport with them, okay? And then, share what you do with parents. Uh, I had an administrator in my um, one of my former universities who kept saying to me, Susanna, you have to learn how to toot your own horn. And it's not a comfortable space for most of us. We're like, no, head down, do our business, let our work show, you know, show what we do, let, let our work give us um, uh, credit for the things. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's no cheerleaders in adapted PE or adapted physical activity. And we have to be um, 
in a certain to a certain extent promotional in what we're doing. Okay, so share what what you do with parents and with other stakeholders for that matter. Be ready with your 60 second commercial. Uh, I talked to my undergraduate students and in particular my graduate students about developing that 60 second commercial. We actually have research um, in, whoops, sorry, just jumped on me. Um, there's actually research in um, uh, professional development and in human resources uh, literature that says that individuals can attend to what you're saying for about 45 seconds, but no more than about 90 seconds. Uh, and then they'll lose interest in what you're saying if you were to, for example, have a conversation with them in an elevator or um, in an entryway. So um, know what you're going to say, know what your program is about, know the things that you want to emphasize and be ready should the opportunity present itself to really showcase your program, whether it's a K-12 program, a disability sport program, or a graduate program at the university level, okay? Be ready to share with principals, school board members, a variety of community members, maybe those who are running programs that your students might transition to, having them know who you are and, and help liaise your students or transition your students into those programs can not only be beneficial for your students, but it can help you garner support when an issue arises and you need people to coalesce around you to support the effort, okay? Um, going to, School board meetings and going to PTA meetings, none of us have lots of time on our hands, but sometimes those become very important and we need to go and understand who the key players are and then take the opportunity to present that 60 second commercial to them um, in an appropriate time and space at those meetings um, so that they are aware of, of the benefit that we bring to the students um, or their school. Also use social media in an appropriate way, obviously, to help share um, what you're doing. Make sure you have photo release, for example, if you're gonna share photos of students or, or um, present pictures that don't show faces, things of that nature, but really help promote what's happening in your school um, and use your social media uh, to really advance what's happening in your programs. Also look at how you can build relationships with other teachers. It's really going to be important that, that you work with those other teachers or other service providers for that matter. Um, and then be ready to, once you've done those collaborative things, to toot your own horn, as I said before. Share how your work is directly improving outcomes for students with disabilities. Um, and then when a situation arises, and before you put any sort of advocacy plan into place, you're probably going to have to do some more research and to really clearly define what is the issue, issue at hand or the situation at hand. Your research may involve um, questioning individuals involved with the issue or reviewing what is current policy or what has been past policy, what does the law say, what is the... the um, curriculum say, whatever it happens to be situated around. Do your homework. Knowing about the issue um, is really going to be critical to your, your success in addressing what is the current problem with that um, situation. Understand whether it's a school-related issue, a district-level issue, a state-level issue, or a federal issue. And sometimes it's both or it's a combination of things, I should say. Um, we have some situations where we get phone calls uh, to consortium, uh, to myself or to 
um, Michelle Grenier and, or to even to Tim Davis at Apens. And they're, the teachers are calling or the parents are calling and they're pre presenting a situation to us that is um, challenging with regard to state policy as well as non-compliance with federal policy. So sometimes there's two issues at play in a given situation. So doing your research and understanding really what's happening is very important. Um, and that will also help you understand whether it's an administrative issue or a legislative issue, um, and then hopefully point you in the right direction about who can help you address the issue, right? Once you understand the issue, use what you already have to inform stakeholders, okay? There are a variety of dear colleague letters, and I'll um, put this link into the chat um, when I'm finished. But those dear colleague letters are very important for us to utilize. And the new one in particular that just came out in May of 2021 is one that you should be knowledgeable about and should be sharing with those key stakeholders that also need to be advised as to what was said in that dear colleague letter. And uh, thank you to Dr. Garth Timerson. That letter went forward and clarified from the Office of Special Education Programs that Adapted physical education is a direct instructional service and should be provided as such in a child's IEP um, and K-12 schooling program. Um, this is really important for us. It helps in those situations where we keep being told, well, you're a related service, you're not necessary, etc." So utilize that, arm yourself with the information that we already have, um, and then um, uh, continue to advance that. And again, like I said earlier, if you are working proactively now to just inform the stakeholders in your area, whatever that happens to be, in your building, at your school level, in your community, uh, at the state level, build that rapport now, share these things as they come up, so that they're already aware of what it is, so that when a situation arises, they have, you don't have to teach them or, or um, increase the, the learning curve. They have already been informed of updates and changes to um, best practice or clarification in this case of what is best practice. And there are, there's the Dear Colleague Letter to Timeson 2021. There's the Dear Colleague Letter to Timeson and Kelly. Um, from, I believe, 2013, and then the Dear Colleague Letter to Irby, which I believe is 2010. And I'll put all those um, in the link for everybody so that you have them in there. It's a one-click thing. Um, the other thing that I wanted to share with you is the newly minted, if you will, NCPID guidance for administrators regarding adapted physical education service document. And um, I'm going to have to... Stop share real quick. All right. And hopefully you can see this now. So this is the new document that was recently adopted by the consortium. And what's important for you to understand is that the advocacy and policy committee was very intentional on how this document was designed. And um, we have included kind of an introductory paragraph here about what the expectations are or the position is of the consortium regarding physical education for students with disabilities. We've clarified in this green box here how um, we interpret specially designed instruction as it applies to physical education and that it is the position that the, of the consortium that specially designed instruction 
is adapted physical education instruction and that specially designed physical education services are adapted physical education services. So we've laid the context as the reader moves forward. And then understanding that administrators have very little time on their hands, we put all of the big ticket items, if you will, on this front page. Okay, so specific to physical education for students with disabilities, it's the expectation um, of the consortium that states and, and their public agencies, i.e. the school districts, do these things. And these bullets have then in the corresponding pages behind it, additional support information. So citing federal code, uh, best practices at the national level, et cetera. But this front sheet, if you will, is really where we hoped to make the biggest impact and allow administrators to very quickly ascertain important information, okay? And this, I'm gonna guess, will be up on our website shortly under the um, legislation page and area. You pop back over here and then finish up because I don't wanna take Brad's time here. No, no rush, you're great. Okay. Um, it's hard to squish all this into 15 minutes. So I was like, okay, which, what are the big ticket items here? All right. Um, the other thing you're gonna have to do is develop the ask. And again, this is where doing your research and really understanding what the issue is, is very important because it will help you then shape the language that goes into your ask. In developing the ask, you'll need to identify who the target audience is. Um, that is, who are you gonna need to, to influence or change perceptions um, with in order to achieve your desired outcome or your advocacy goal. And then um, once you have that identified, you're gonna need to figure out why you're asking them to do it. What are the underlying issues? What are the things you're trying to change, okay? That will help you identify ideally what you want them to do, how you want the situation to change. And then um, what is needed, and sometimes that needed is uh, tied to funding, right? Maybe it's another position in your district. Maybe it's um, additional funding for athletics that supports students with disabilities. And then other times it's not something that requires funding. It's simply acknowledgement that you need the gym space for this particular class as opposed to being um, in the cafeteria. And it's, it's a negotiation over space. Um, but ultimately the goal of advocacy is to support your cause and to move it forward. So be ready for um, compromise and think about ultimately this is where I wanna go, but what is a, um, a step or two behind where I ultimately want to go that I'd be okay with? Because ultimately, if we've moved the position or the situation forward, we've made progress, okay? And maybe we, we get a Band-Aid over it for this academic school year, and next academic school year, we actually get the fix or the solution that we're looking for, okay? All right. Then last but not least, and this is probably one of the most important um, components, keep in contact as you've built those relationships and as you're moving through this advocacy process make sure you are in regular contact with individuals make sure you're sharing information as it becomes available if there's a cool new video that comes out that is pro physical education or pro adapted physical education like are coming from the consortium then you are advancing those forward to your key stakeholders okay um, look at uh, social media responding to online um, blogs or for example, the adapted specialist group and Facebook, things of that nature, and providing information that's important. The other place that I think that we 
don't do a good job but is worth looking at is a lot there's a lot of facebook groups in the school district potentially where you're at um, i know i could go into ape specialists and post something but i might be as they say preaching to the choir right whereas if i went to the argyle's moms facebook group and i shared something about programming that supports learners with disabilities that i may or may not be associated with but is important for parents to have access to, I'm sharing information with a whole new group of stakeholders. So we need to also be mindful of that when we look at social media. And be willing to um, go locally or, or as they say, backyard advocate, go talk to your folks from Washington, DC and from um, uh, both chambers of Congress when they're at home and what it's easy for you to access them as opposed to have to having to make a trip to Washington, DC, right? And then look at the possibility of participating in initiatives like Speak Out Day, um, or if the consortium goes to the Hill, be ready and willing um, to be able to share, again, your success stories, how you're collaborating, how you're improving the outcomes of lives of students with disabilities in those types of initiatives. All right. And remember that advocacy is long-term, okay? It's gonna require sustained time and efforts, so don't give up, right? We will put the um, consortium, oops, excuse me, the policy document in the legislative component of, um, or the advocacy component, actually, I think we updated the language there. But I wanted you to also know that those dear colleague letters are also on the consortium page in this same area. Okay, so it's a quick one stop shop to get to some of those support documents that you might need and we'll continue to update that and add to them as as time goes on. All right. Thanks so much. Happy to be a part of this collaborative and I appreciate everybody being. Excellent. Thank you. Everyone give your best emoji to Dr. Dylan. That was fantastic. If you could hold your questions till the end, then we'll do an open call for questions after. Brad has an opportunity to speak. But thank you again, those who joined us. Um, our, our next speaker will be Brad Wiener. And Brad is a, currently now in Fairfax County, Virginia. He earned his master's degree in adapted PE at SUNY Cortland. He, heard, he holds certification in physical education, special education, and administration. He was the 2013 National APE Teacher of the Year. He's taught 17 years in teaching both APE and general PE. He's been on the board of directors or a committee member of NICPEED since 2013. He's been the APE SIG Chair for Shape America and has held multiple positions for Maryland's APE Consortium. I will also put Brad's website in the chat. Uh, it is a fantastic resource if you haven't checked out Brad's um, website, highly, highly recommend. So I will put that in the chat now. And without further ado, I'll let Brad take the stage and talk about his APE teaching tips. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Melissa. <clears throat> and it is a great honor to go after Dr. Dillon. Thank you so much, Dr. Dillon, for that. And you know what? You shared something that my first, uh, my first supervisor shared with me, that it's not a marathon. It's a it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And he shared that with me because he saw me running a sprint 
and uh, told me to slow down and understand that it's a marathon. So I'm, I'm constantly working on understanding that, that concept, but uh, thank you for sharing that. And uh, some of the tips that you did share do relay into tips that our teachers can be using, uh, not just to advocate, but for their profession as well as they provide their instruction such as one that you shared was pro, be proactive, not reactive. That's another great one that you shared. So thank you for sharing some of those tips. So uh, I was asked to share tips from my experience as a, a national adaptive physical education teacher of 17 years. So I put together about 12 tips. There's certainly a lot more. I unfortunately won't have a lot of time to go in depth about each one, uh, but just sharing the tips that we should consider. Tip number one always starts with students. So know your students as individuals. This starts from the, the very beginning. We have to really understand who are the students that are entering our room and really know them as individuals. And so one of the things I like to show whenever I do presentations is this slide to really get us to understand that each individual student is coming with uh, great complexity and is coming to us with uh, unique attributes. And we need to know those attributes if we're truly going to build a relationship and teach them. If we try teaching a whole class as one uh, and not really considering these, we may not be as successful at meeting their needs. So understanding that each individual does have unique attributes. Tip number two, is to pre-plan, to create an individualized learning experience. So it, just like that being proactive, not reactive, that Dr. Dillon was sharing, we need to pre-plan. We need to think about the students that are coming into our environment, think about what we want to teach, and really understand our sequence of our lesson that we're going to put into place so that our students can really get um, that, that instruction that they're going to, to need and provide that individualization. So we're not running into the closet in the last moment because something comes to our mind that we already pre-planned and that piece of equipment or idea or strategy is already set in place. One of the uh, key concepts that came to my mind when I was an early teacher was Muska Mostyn's incline rope theory. It is a, a great theory. It's the idea that we create in a, a lesson an environment where everybody, no matter who comes into the environment, can uh, be can equally contribute to the game and also be challenged yet successful within the same activity. And so the incline rope theory is that at any point during the rope, somebody can be able to get to the other side. In the picture on the right, they may be jumping a further distance while in the picture on the left, they may be stepping over, but everybody's engaged in this activity and uh, being able to be successful to get to the other side. While this is not always an easy concept, it should always be on our, our, uh, on our mind so that uh, we can create the environment to meet this incline rope theory. Tip number three, and that goes into what Dr. Dillon was sharing as well, that we need to collaborate, right? So collaboration with the educational team. This is a great advocacy tool, but also great to support our knowledge of our students, uh, how we're going to design and implement the lessons that we're doing. Many times we may see non-desired behaviors within our learning environment, 
And the best thing to address that is to go and collaborate with your classroom teacher, your related service providers, all your stakeholders that can support that student within your room. And so that you can take those strategies and build them into your lesson. The collaboration also goes into supporting knowing when your IEP meetings will be uh, because building those relationships, now teachers will reach out to you. They'll keep you on their mind and they'll reach out to you so that you'll know when IEP meetings are and you'll be able to really engage in those meetings and have your paperwork done on time. So collaboration is key. Tip number four is connecting with families. They are other very important stakeholders as they're the ones that are going to be with the student for the student's entire life, and they are with the student beyond the school. So we really want to make that connection with the families and support the families. One way that you can do this is through a family fun night. If you host a family fun night, that brings the families in, and then you can start building those in-person relationships with the family, and they get to see what you do on a different versus just hearing what you do. Right. Another thing I like to do is also send out a family uh, questionnaire, because one of the things that I've noticed, and here's a family questionnaire, an example. One of the things that I noticed is that students partake in the same activities or similar activities as their families. So if the if they have siblings that play baseball, oftentimes they're going to go to the baseball game and watch. If they have uh Parents that are enjoying football and watch football on Sundays, oftentimes they're in their room and watching football. So their interests are often around what their family's interests are. Not always, but it is a good place to start to understand what the families enjoy doing in their learning environment, in their uh, community. Also gets you to understand what they're accessing in their community. If a family is not accessing their community, that tells me that we should step out and support the family's knowledge to know how to access their community, where to go, and what they're able to access. Another tip is collect and analyze data with a detective's eye. Oftentimes we hear that we're supposed to collect data and we, do, we may collect data, but we don't really look at it. And I often see this when we are um, doing formal assessments, but what we are seeing is we may be working on the run or uh, striking a ball off a tee. And when we're looking at these skills, we're, we're checking our marks and we're saying, oh, they can't do, they can't run. But we're not really focusing on what criteria goes into that run. So task analyzing with that detective's eye and really focusing on what is the basis for a student struggling to perform a skill, right? So if they're struggling with running, well, there's a lot of components that go into running and just indicating that they're struggling with running doesn't really tell us how we're gonna support them to improve. Now, if we notice that they're struggling with their balance or their ability to coordinate, if they're struggling with the opposition, if there, so there are lots of things that we can really deep dive into, but we want to have that detective's eye and analyze those skills so that we can then support them. 
So collecting the data and analyzing the data is really important. And this will go and help us when we're going to write our IEPs and when we're thinking about what type of goal we want to write. If we're writing a goal that is very broad, such as the student is going to uh, jump, that doesn't really help me know how I'm going to support the student in jumping. It doesn't tell the parents how they can support at home the student in jumping. Reflection. This is one thing that I am uh, a big advocate of, reflecting and staying flexible to change your method of presentation and attitude. So if there are non-desired behaviors within the learning environment or the lesson that we set up isn't going right, uh, we need to reflect and we need to think about um, each, less, each part of that lesson segment and really think about how the students entered the room, how the students transitioned to uh, the next activity or transitioned to their instructional area where you're going to provide instruction, how the students are interacting with each other, how you're interacting with the students. We really need to have reflection and think about all the aspects and be okay, be flexible to change ourselves, be flexible to change our presentation. I once had a routine that I used many years, every year, and it just wasn't working one year. So instead of trying to force my students into meet that, um, that routine, I changed up my routine. I changed up my whole environment, changed up my routine, and it worked better. But I had to reflect and I had to think about how I was going to support those students and be okay with being flexible to change something that I've been doing the same way for every year prior. And it always worked prior. But in this case, for this group of students, it wasn't working. So I had to be flexible to change. And it started with my reflection of seeing how I can support those students best. Step number seven is to allow time to maintain organization of student files and IEP timelines. <clears throat> the last thing we wanna do is walk into an IEP meeting with our papers all over the place or uh, our computer's not ready to go and we have to boot up our computer and then not being able to find where anything is. We wanna really present ourselves as being organized. Uh, and so, real, and this goes from the beginning of the school year. At the beginning of the school year, I would always go on my IEP software, identify my students, identify when their annual review is and when their triannual year, uh, when their triannual year or meeting would be. And I make myself a list. And so oftentimes every month I go into looking at this list and I know who I should be aware of. So it's that organization or, or also organization of my uh, IEP data and paperwork and how I'm going to do that so that I can easily get to that data as I'm teaching those students and then file it away so that I can easily return to it if I go to a meeting or a teacher comes to speak to me about that student. So organization is key. And it really goes to show our professionalism when we are organized. Ensure IEPs are data-driven and meaningful. So oftentimes what I see is that we're writing present level of academic achievement and functional performance, those, those statements based off of observations, um, but not specific data. 
So when we're collecting data, we want to be able to collect data using trials or percentages and then utilize that data to inform how we're going to drive our goal and our IEPs. So everything is data-driven. The decisions that we make are data-driven. So when we're thinking about how, the best way to serve, uh, deliver the service, that's all based off uh, discussion that is looking at the data to determine what uh, learning environment would best support the student. That's all based off data. So the more data we can collect, the more uh, we can have a, a real healthy discussion and support that student. And there we go, support, and we wanna support the student also in building self-advocacy and self-determination. This is key because as students grow up and they eventually the goal is that they are engaging in the community, but what skills are we supporting them to develop in order to advocate for themselves? What skills are we supporting them when they're in the community to say, hey, I wanna go to the community center and, you know, being able to get to that community center, utilize that community center. And oftentimes what we, what we may see is that people don't go to fitness centers because they don't feel comfortable about utilizing a fitness center. And so we want our students to feel that comfort. We want them to have that, um, that knowledge and that comfort to engage in whatever community organization they want to partake and also be able to speak up for themselves. Networking with the APE community and Dr. Dillon was bringing this up uh, a lot. And, you know, one of the greatest things that I did is uh, as I was a new teacher, I was networking with a lot of my colleagues. I was networking with a lot of adaptive physical educators. And then I was also part of many organizations, just like this organization, NICPED. I got involved and that really had has helped me throughout my career. And nowadays, uh, it's a little bit easier to network or, or a little bit more free with having Facebook and Twitter. And it really has supported us, our networking, because I can easily go on one of those social media and see what people are posting and get information and then respond to it or post my own information. So really being partaking in that network is strong, not just for um, yourself as a professional and growing as a professional, but strong for our whole APE community, because the more we band together, the stronger we are as a community within our uh district, within our state, within the country. So networking is uh, extremely important. You know, you all know that because you're all here right now networking with us today. So thank you for that. And maintain positivity, patience, and a calm attitude. You know, oftentimes this job can be difficult and oftentimes we uh, make engage in experiences that are not as positive and have people that are engaging with us in an aggressive manner. And it's how do we respond to that? And it's really taking a moment to take a breath before we respond and think about how we want to respond. We want to maintain that positivity, patience, and calm attitude and think about how we want to engage with somebody that may not be positive with us. Maybe they don't have all the knowledge or maybe they are basing their um their way that they're engaging with us based off background experience or what they believe to be 
uh, true. So taking a moment and staying positive, maintaining patience and that calm attitude with our students, with uh, our colleagues, all the same. You know, students come into our class and, and they're there to have a good time and learn, but sometimes they do show non-desired behaviors, but it's how we respond to those non-desired behaviors through positivity, patience, and calm attitude that's gonna direct the future and the building relationship with them. The last and final uh, tip that I have is that this is a journey full of steps. Take one step at a time. Just like Dr. Dillon said, it's uh, not a sprint, it's a marathon. So let's take it one moment at a time. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yay. All right. Let's yeah, give our best emoji to Brad. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to meet you.